Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed, and this episode is one of our deep dives, our Bakhtapod of talk. I'm Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm Ken Napsack. We are sleeping in a bed of bakta. We can say that now. Oh, is it comforting or is it claustrophobic? Uh, you tell us. You tell us. But we're going to dive into a wonderful uh, beginning of a series, actually, Joseph. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be in our, our, our dream pod of goo as we... <laughs> 
have a nice soothing talk about the crawls of Star Wars. The opening text, uh, we'll get into a little bit more of what we're going to cover, what that is all about. But we always want to start by letting you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. You can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash center. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. This week, we are recommending the new High Republic adventure, The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. To download your free audiobook, you can go to audibletrial.com slash center Again, audibletrial.com slash center for your free audiobook. Imagine all of that going by in a cool crawl. But can we have more crawling, more offers? Go for it. Uh, offer, uh, offer Wars Episode 2. Uh, <laughs> there is another. We have another offer from our friends at Inside Edition. Uh, publisher of a ton of great Star Wars books, Inside Editions is offering 35% off across their website. If you use this special link, insideeditions.com slash discount slash FC35. A lot of books on there, even beyond Star Wars. But this week, we're recommending the Inside Editions book, uh, Inner Jedi Journal. We talked about uh, talked about it a little bit on uh, the uh, show on Tuesday. Uh, and uh, we'll talk about this book again. It is. Uh, it takes you through each day and asks you the tough question about how could you be like a Jedi? Uh, and it challenges you. Again, use that link, insideditions.com slash discount slash FC35. And then four dots, like at the end of the crawl, or three if you're returning the Jedi. Anyway, uh, moving on to the trivia to the heart of matters, Ken. Uh, we wanted to start this new year by discussing really how the Star Wars films start. Uh, in particular, the opening crawls of the Skywalker saga, the the non-crawling but still text of Solo, the no-crawl or text at all of Rogue One, and of course the verbal narration of the Clone Wars animated series. Uh, but that seemed like a lot for us to talk about in one episode. So this first episode... We're just going to dive into the big picture of the crawls of the original trilogy. And as the weeks go on, we'll uh, cover uh, the crawls of the prequel era and uh, the sequel era as well. So, Ken, uh, let's start at the beginning with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away before even the crawl of that text. What did you think of that as a kid? What did that communicate to you? Just that. Just that communicated exactly what they intended to, uh, intended for to communicate to, to me, a young kid, that somewhere in space, this could be happening now. I really fell for that. I love that. Uh, fell for it, meaning, you know, I, I understood the concept of, of movies. Um, I, I, I thought uh, 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 E.T. might have been real or a documentary. <laughs> but, um, I took that spirit of wonder early on. I, I tell the story often. It, it's uh, one of those... Uh, foggy but uh you know clear memories of leaving driving home uh we were uh in uh, my hometown of san luis obispo Rio grande california and just kind of heading down the freeway south from san luis to Rio grande which is about 10 15 minute ride but as a kid that seemed like hours and just staring up and out of the window and looking to the stars and a long time ago in a galaxy far far away whether or not i was repeating those words or not in my head that spirit of it's this uh, wonderful myth and uh, mystery as a, as a kid that really hit hit home. It worked, really worked. So it it felt to you like this could be happening now, or it, it could have happened up there back in the past. Yeah, yeah, I, yes. It, he's daydreaming about uh, you know when that could be, and and again, understanding what I was watching and seeing, but just really f- focusing on uh, it the the it communicating a, a long time ago in a galaxy far far away. Hey, this happened. This story. We we got a tale to tell you. 
And I think that informed the way I watched Star Wars for the rest of my life. Uh, we dig deep into themes, and that's where I relate to it um, a lot more now. But even even back in the Jedi Alliance days, or the early Council days, and all these Star Wars punditry, I always always would even sometimes argue with those around me. I watch Star Wars like a living history document. And each yeah. chapter is what happened in the story, and it is this uh, thing that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So I don't get hung up on, on what ifs too much because uh, I get uh, in, in pulled in by what is in the story. Yeah, that, I think that's a great way to say it. I think I'm in the same place as you were as a kid of it. It fired my imagination, like all of Star Wars did, but in particular, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I don't even remember when I first, uh, you know, understood that it was just it was there <laughs> and yep. i think it, it created this contrast from the other pop culture things that i really liked um yes. superheroes were not real i i knew that and anytime i danced too close to it i was <laughs> pulled aside by my parents <laughs> and i i remember at one particular point uh, telling them that i had accepted that i was never going to have super powers that i was not going to be able to turn to ice like ice man and they're like well good but that actually raises a lot of concerns um <laughs> So I was really reminded again and again, mm. superheroes even looks like they're, you know, swinging around New York, which is a real place. They are not real. Mm. Uh, and then Star Trek was another big thing, but that was very explicitly way in the future. It was almost this idea of what we could be, where we might go if we really keep exploring the galaxy. It was so tied to actual exploration. Mm. So in contrast to those things, Star Wars had this great, like, yeah, I know it's a movie. I know uh, I don't have a lightsaber, um, but it might have been because it's in the past, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But it invited that it could be real. It could be like dinosaurs, like mm. dinosaurs shouldn't be real, right? Dinosaurs should be one of those things. My parents are pulling me aside and going like, now, you know, <laughs> there wasn't a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but there was in Star Wars because of that framing. I think it's one of the things that as a kid made the impossible feel possible. Yeah. Uh, well said there. And, and I, I want to back you up on this idea of, of how this for me personally, clearly you personally, and probably people listening personally set star Wars aside from other things that I love and still love. Right. Yeah. G.I. Joe, I was a big G.I. Joe fan. And you know, I'll still occasionally, I just was in a target and, and saw a six inch, uh, the new Bar Baroness they've released. And I'm like, eh, I'm probably going to buy that. Um, <laughs> I love G.I. Joe Robotech. I've talked a lot about Robotech and that had some, you know, it begins in the future, 1997. Um, that, that felt real, but it was like, <laughs> and then you mentioned Star Trek. I, I've always been a, a casual enough fan of Star Trek. Maybe in high school, I got into the Star Wars versus Star Trek wars, uh, but I've always loved it. But even Star Trek four, when I took a family vacation in Monterey Bay Aquarium, that wasn't uh, Oh, Spock's real. It was like, Oh, this is, where they made that movie you make movies and even though i was aware that star wars had locations in the redwoods and that that long time ago in a galaxy far far away just put star wars over here and that's why for me it became more powerful and still guides my life yeah absolutely the other thing i thought about when i was thinking about my childhood uh reaction to both this text and the crawls uh do you remember not being able to read it <laughs> Do you remember having to have somebody else read it from you from a storybook or tell you what what this text said or what the crawl said? Um, I used to be a smart kid, Joseph. I, it fell off over the years, but I was one of those kids in the special classes that, you know, I'd learned, I learned. I didn't learn anything. Uh, um, so I, I moved away from it. So, no, but 
meaning I, you and I are, you and I are the the same age, essentially. We always should say that, but I think you have, you, your brain awoke a few months before mine. <laughs> you have more memories of uh, Empire Strikes Back where yeah. maybe you'd be a little bit more like, yeah, so I didn't experience that. I just, I was seven and uh, a voracious reader. So no, I didn't experience that. Yeah, I, I don't remember not being able to read it, but I know that I was a fan before I started reading. So it must have been, you know, told yeah. to me and then I, you know, heard it or, you know, could could look at those words and kind of know what they meant. I, I started reading relatively young and then and then those storybooks I, I would read all the time. So those mm-hmm. words were very quickly a part of me. But it is fascinating to to think it's that much of a storybook for me that I was a fan of the phrase a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away before I could read it. <laughs> my brother or my parents had to tell me what it said. That's pretty deep. This is the part of the um, Netflix documentary where we cut to a reenactment of uh, young Joseph Scrimshaw <laughs> sitting in the theater and your brother turning to you with just, and the light is flashing on you from the screen. You won't see the screen. We just hear him reading that. Yeah, yeah. And I would be happy uh, at my current age to play uh, just like little kid me. I, I always love it when that happens. So you touched on this a little bit, but, you know, we've lived with it for years and years, the long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh, we talked about how it got into us as kids, but I'm really curious a little bit more with your adult uh, perspective, analytical perspective. What does it mean to you as an adult? It, it reminds me that this is a myth uh, as an adult. It really does. And I really do mean that because as we'll discuss perhaps uh, later on these this episode or other ones with The Crawl, there's different parts of my life where I was t- t- consuming other content or consuming Star Wars less. And um, what I wanted out of Star Wars, maybe even what I took out of Star Wars was a little different. And, 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 and even at the beginning of this run of Star Wars Pondering Tree, I, I talk often about sometimes um, looking back or listening to old episodes and feeling slightly embarrassed on my takes on the prequels, but also I, I'm not embarrassed about it because I uh, look at it and go, look, uh, my relationship with star Wars changed because it, it, you should allow that to happen. Uh, star Wars is, is that kind of property again because of this. And so when I do see it, uh, even if it's not there, we can discuss where it shows up <laughs> or doesn't show up <laughs> these days. It's still the spirit of it is there. And I'm still, still able to kind of crawl back. I get so excited. We've talked about it. Oh, it's that beat before the music hits. Um, It's my favorite thing for a reason, because as an adult, it reminds me to, to kind of approach it uh, with a, with a childlike wonder. Yeah. I think that's that word wonder is great. And, and childlike. Um, Mm -hmm. I think for me, it is, it's explicitly a story. It's a, it's a storybook, a fairy tale beginning. It's the beginning of a myth or a legend. Um, in terms of how different uh, storytelling or works of art kind of give context clues uh, to, to how to approach it, it's so important to me uh, that it helped me approach it from this great perspective as a kid. But then as uh, you know, an adult wanting to really like look at it and analyze it and say, what is it? Where did it come from? It's so important that that storybook perspective really suggests to embrace it in a romantic and mythic way. Mm-hmm. And to kind of carry that forward to a lot of things that we talk about on the podcast, like I feel like starting with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is one of the things that makes me want to focus on uh, the why, uh, the lessons and not the how, right? Like mm-hmm. w- when you relate Star Wars to like fairy tales you hear as a kid, right? When you hear the lesson of Rapunzel, you're asking, what's the moral of that story? You're not like, what's the tensile strength of her hair? The story doesn't work, right? <laughs> It's presented, it, it's didactic and it's, it's to, to learn about a perspective or to learn about ourselves. And I feel like that storytelling perspective for me is one of the big things that 
right out of the gate. Yeah. Focus on the why, focus on the lessons. It's romantic. It's mythic. Um, it's fun to get into the details and the how, um, but that's not the, for me, the main point. Yeah. For, for me as well. And we always put that for me or for us uh, before those uh, sentences here on, on four center to remind us even more than you, that these are the ways we, we look at it. But I just go back to, to uh, early 2018 and, and the, the last Jedi kerfuffle, which is a nice way of describing it. Um, I, uh, even though I was so on board with that movie early on and I had to process some things, I, I you know, I was part of even uh, the faces on uh, YouTube screen saying, uh, prediction one, prediction two, prediction three. And, and that was all about uh, hows. And that th- there was a big reminder for me personally to to look at the why and, and, and start with that long time ago. So I think that's sometimes why we bang the drum a little bit, but uh, only because we just uh, we're so we so strongly believe in that perspective because the way it has affected our life going back to seven years of age. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, another big thing for me that I think that uh, a long time ago communicates is something that actually has become more of a a discussion point with uh, the sequels, uh, the sequel trilogy and everything that happens is by saying it happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It is removed from us in time. It is removed to us in space. And yet these characters uh, seem to be struggling as individuals and as societies with similar problems to us. And I think it tees up this idea that we're wrestling with, these stories are wrestling with timeless struggles, which mean they're going to happen again and again. Each generation is going to face them again and again. And that was an interesting thing for me to kind of unlock. Why am I so okay with the sequel trilogies being, hey, uh, the, the original trilogy generation had a great victory but the next generation is going to have to face the possibility of the threat returning. Why am I so okay with that? And I think Mm. partially it's because that kind of storybook opening suggests that we're talking about timeless struggles. And if they're timeless struggles, it makes sense that they might resurface. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great starting point. Star Wars, timeless struggles, volume seven. (laughs) Volume seven of timeless struggles. Uh, That that sounds like something that you would uh, get a commercial for in like 1988 to order 800 VHSs. All right. So let's move on to the crawls themselves. Um, They were inspired by the opening crawls of the Flash Gordon serials of the 1930s and 40s. And uh, when we say inspired, it's more like uh, uh, they just did that. <laughs> mm, mm. It's uh, it's an older tech, but if you watch those Flash Gordon serials, you can pull them up easily on YouTube, uh, search for those crawls. It's, it's the crawl. So how does knowing that direct connection affect the way you see the crawls? Um, nowadays, even with this discussion, I'll try to, you know, have an intellectual pundit uh, view and connection to it, but it is just a, a, a great reminder of, uh, uh, the nostalgia that was in George's mind from the start. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a good starting point when you're taking in Star Wars. Yeah. I think it all, we're having all of these very important, very vital discussions of uh, how much uh, should pop culture be revisiting itself? How much should uh, new stories be uh, reliant on, on stories that happened before and updating them or characters returning all that? I think that's uh, all important and vital stories uh, or vital discussions to have about storytelling in the moment we're in. But yeah, that is, one of the big things that that it it reminds me of right away makes me think about is nostalgia is baked into the first 
film, the first Star Wars anything, not just the nostalgia of the characters, because we often talk about like Obi-Wan being like, uh, that, that, that's a name I haven't heard in a long time, long time. Um, and Luke wanting to be a Jedi based on his father. There's all this nostalgia about what came before, but stripped away from the story itself, just the nostalgia of the creator, their open beating heart going, I love this kind of stuff when I was a kid. So I'm going to re-examine it. And and people understandably, understandably are saying it's too much of our storytelling, re-examining the storytelling of our youth. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the original Star Wars was re-examining the storytelling of Lucas and many of the other creative people's youth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, having uh, been, I think, barely one, right at one, swaddled in a blanket in the back of a Volkswagen van, seeing New Hope with my folks, clearly have no real memory of that. Uh, So I actually did some research, Joseph. I I reached out to a friend of the show, uh, writer, comedian, storyteller, Dan Farron, who was a little bit older during the 1977 showings of A New Hope, uh, a young man. And I said, hey, Dan, uh, did you see the opening crawl for Star Wars and think, hey, Flash Gordon? And he wrote me back. He says, big time. Uh, most of Star Wars reminded me of Flash Gordon. I love the serials, and it added to my enjoyment of Star Wars. And he added his his uh, father uh, uh, was uh, saw it and, it, and it had the same thing, and it took him back to into the nostalgia of his youth, the Buck Rogers, the Undersea Kingdom of the uh, Seeds, uh, uh, or excuse me, the Under King, Undersea Kingdom where the Seeds of Star Wars rights stand. So, uh, stuff that Lucas grew up on. So, yeah, I love that perspective as someone who's a little older than us, sitting in that theater in '77 and going, "Hot damn, serials from Flash Gordon!" Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's so great. And I love thinking about uh, uh, people who had that knowledge and the different uh, different reactions to it. Um, I, I think for me, the, the crawl, there is that nostalgia uh, reminder, but also just a, a huge thing for me is uh, the reminder that Star Wars is based in not just here's this one show that George Lucas happened to like, right? I mean, Flash mm-hmm. Gordon, obviously, super important to the history of Star Wars. But the fact that Star Wars is at least partially based in pulp adventure serial thrill. So there's that that mood, that tone, that context of I'm mashing up the the B movie in the adventure serial and the the honestly some of the storytelling that was looked at as lesser than, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the it's pulp. It's literally printed on it, that name comes from paper <laughs> of low value, right? Because these are, you know, thrilling, shocking stories uh, to grab people's eyes. They're not they're not of value, right? Um and then Lucas combined it with all this myth, but that pulp adventure serial side of it is really, really there. It's always been such a huge part of Star Wars. And in particular, the Flash Gordon context is really interesting to me because uh, the serials have cliffhanger energy, the the question of what happens next. And to me, that is so much a part of the pacing and the tone of Star Wars of going from one adventure to the next and leaving on a question of, well, what happens next? It is fascinating to look at those, the history of the Star Wars crawls and remember that they're aesthetically cool, they're fun and dynamic, uh, but they were also extremely practically actually needed in Flash Gordon, right? Because yeah. you would see one and then uh, time would pass and you'd see the next chapter and you'd be like, hey, yeah, what the hell happened last time? Oh, yeah. It's like me with comic books every month. Wait, what happened? Oh, good. There's a thing in the front to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just to me, it is just a reminder at the beginning of of every chapter of the the energy of cliffhanger of what mm-hmm. happens next. Of they got out of this, 
But I, can they get out of the next one is baked into Star Wars. Absolutely is baked into it. Totally, totally. And I, you know, listen, I also want to add that too, as, as a kid, I was really shocked to learn that Flash Gordon took from Star Wars. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. I, I wanted to talk about this idea that the Star Wars crawls that were paying homage to Flash Gordon crawls and, uh, you know, adults at the time in 1977 knew that. Uh, but the Star Wars crawls are now far more famous than the thing they were paying homage to. And even with the knowledge that the Star Wars crawl was taken from Flash Gordon, when I sat down recently to watch some of those Flash Gordons, I'm like, eh, the Star Wars crawl. I'm like, no. <laughs> it is the Flash Gordon crawl. What does that mean to you? Or what does that make you you think of that that just truth that Star Wars made these popular? And when people see them, it, that's the Star Wars crawl, not the Flash Gordon crawl. And you just have to kind of um, laugh and let go, especially uh, as creatives and artists. And sometimes it happens. We, we talk about music a lot here. And I think I mentioned this recently, but it's like one of my favorite bands is uh, Minnesota Zone, The Replacements. Their influence over bands like Nirvana and then later on The Goo Goo Dolls and many other bands was so clear and the replacements did not taste the success that those bands tasted, <laughs> um, though the replacements were influenced by uh, Alex, Alex Chilton and Big Star. So you could argue that uh, they had more success than Big Star. Uh, and it's just part of the creative process. And and so, and, and what happened with Star Wars, which by the way, again, George wasn't necessarily planning on that. So that's why I, I get somewhat amused when uh, it happens a lot and, and younger uh, generation fans, um, you know, check in and you start to, you know, they're learning the same facts that we learned 30 years ago. And I love that journey. But, uh, you know, when someone points out, well, you know, really Lucas just stole from this, stole from that, you know, did, have you seen Dune? Cause, and it's like, George was never shy about that. Never shy mm -hmm. about that. So the fact that Star Wars eclipsed that is just one of those pop culture things, man. And you can't plan for it. And George wasn't trying to. He just was going, yeah, let's take all those things and let's put it together so I can do my version of that for the generations that, that will follow. And I just love that. That's part of the, the Star Wars story. Yeah. I mean, I think the idea in particular with this, that he would say, I love that. It gave me such a thrill when I saw that as a kid, that crawl going, all right, what, here's what happened last time. How are they going to get out of it? What's going to come next? It's so thrilling. I wanted to share that feeling, right? Yeah. Uh, so coming at it from the perspective of, I want to help people see, see these serials the way I saw them, mm -hmm. saw that potential for a great thrill ride. Uh, I want to communicate that to people. Uh, that is that to me is really powerful. And uh, yeah, the, the collection of different places that Lucas um, got inspiration from uh, in for me, it, it only makes Star Wars more powerful because it is that idea that m many things are timeless. Mm -hmm. And as a creator, uh, I don't think you should you know legitimately just lift a thing and do yeah. it one for one. But I think it is very true that you can take things that you are inspired by and by the act of you processing what they meant to you, they become something new. In Star Wars, in this collection of all these things that Lucas and the other creative people were influenced by, obviously became its own thing. That's that's mm -hmm. he put all of these these uh, ingredients in and made a new dish, and that's why we're still talking about it. Yeah, and, and still eating uh, some wonderful Star Wars dishes. <laughs> still eating them, Flash Gordon crawls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it for me it, it is. Uh, I have that uh, reaction like you did of sometimes like uh, having empathy for maybe somebody who started something uh, yep. that became larger than them and they're maybe not known for it or not credited for it. Mm -hmm. um, definitely have some empathy for that. Uh, but for me, it's just also uh, just a reminder that uh, time moves. Uh, you can't control <laughs> everything that happens. 
And I've had that experience when I have watched uh, like a movie that started a trend, but I didn't see it when it came out. And you can watch something and go, ah, this seems kind of tired. And then you're like, no, it started it. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't tired. It was the thing that invented it. And it was so cool that a bunch of other people did it a bunch and made it tired, but it was not tired when it started. Yeah. Yeah. And we sometimes lose sight of that too. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I'm with you too on that. How many times that I've heard a great song and I've listened to it for 10 years and then I learn it's a cover. I mean, it's just what it is. Yeah. You're right. It is absolutely what it is. Uh, One of the other big ideas of the crawls that I I wanted to dive in and get your thoughts on a little bit is um, the crawls are one of the many indicators of star Wars pulp and adventure serial and B movie uh, roots. Do you think that the general audience is disconnected from that being a part of Star Wars DNA? It seems so. I'm trying to to thread the needle on this. Um, it seems so, and, and I would say that maybe understandably, because it pops up a lot. Uh, in Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 1, had some conversations off offline with some friends who, some who were like, yes, yeah, serial weird pulpy adventure. Others like, what was that monster? Um, and I'm sympathetic to it because I've been there and this is what I was kind of hinting at earlier of different faces in my life. And there was a phase in my life where I wanted a darker, grittier Star Wars and not too long ago. And guess what? I I think Star Wars gets pretty dark. Uh, Uh, and it does go there. It's there for you want it. But, but this is why, uh, again, personal journey stuff here. It's why Solo and Rise of Skywalker right now are my go-to, I'm going to watch a Star Wars movie and in the background type of thing. Mm -hmm. Because it really has that, that spirit that uh, I appreciate with Star Wars and uh, other things, Indiana Jones pops to mind as well. But like going back to the beginning of it, it just seems a lot of the conversations with people who, by the way, get Star Wars. This isn't like people who are like, I don't know what Star Wars. Like they get it. They get all the aspects of it. They get the myth. They get the fantasy. They get how, you know, we engage on it here at Force Center and how they want to engage with it. But there's just also, we make jokes about like, Claude and Boba Fett falls into a hole in the sand and, you know, <laughs> with a mouth, uh, all those kind of things are so part of it. And then when it pops up, I remember, um, you know, uh, we've mentioned it before here, but not too long before Last Jedi was released, there was like a little comment from Ryan Johnson going, I, I would like to point out that, I, I, yes, I did do Breaking Bad. Yes, 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 yes. Um, uh, this movie has a lot of humor in it. <laughs> I just I just want people to understand before they go in there. It's a little, it's not this dark and gritty Ryan Johnson film that uh, it's not Looper in, in, in space. Um, and I always remember laughing about that after the fact of, oh yeah. Um, so anyway, anyways, all that to say, shorter answer, Joseph, it, it seems so. And I get it, but um, it, it is there whether you engage with that or not. Yeah. I, I have so many, I, was, I really wanted to start by hearing your thoughts uh, because there's a part of me that wishes like, I wish I could do like an actual structured social science research mm-hmm. <laughs> on this because obviously I have, I don't have solid evidence. I haven't conducted a study. So I am going from my gut and I want to totally uh, own that going from, from my observations. But yeah, I think, I think the vast majority of fans are aware because if you're at all interested in the history of Star Wars and dig and listen to five seconds of an interview with Ben Burt, (laughs) you know, a pulp and adventure serial is going to come up. The, 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 you know, the history is not obscure by any means, particularly if you're a fan or in this fan space. Um, I think some general audience, uh, just really general audience are aware of it. You know, I think it's a real age based thing. I think plenty aren't. And I think that's fine. You know, I think, some Star Wars, I think, is 
uh, more accessible. Um, and I think like you don't need to be an expert on Star Wars history to just sit down and enjoy the Mandalorian. Right. Like the Mandalorian had such huge success, I think, because it was a really accessible jumping on point from Star Wars, even though it was really to, to Favreau's words himself built on some of the same inspirations that, uh, that the original Star Wars had that uh, you could just sit down and watch the, the Mandalorian. Uh, but I think, I think that, I think where I get uh, kind of obsessed with this idea is I think there's this difference between knowing as a, a fact or a piece of trivia that these are the, some of the works that inspired Star Wars. There's a difference between knowing it as a fact and embracing what it's going to mean for the style of storytelling and the movement of the films. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause there's trivia that you can know of just, you know, uh, like uh, Dwayne Dunham was one of the first people to dress up as Boba Fett. Great. That's trivia, but that doesn't tell us how to engage with the story at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is trivia that tells us how to engage with the story. And I, it's, uh, it's so fascinating to me that you brought up Solo and Rise of Skywalker, because this is the thing I'd almost like to do a study on. For my two cents, Solo and Rise of Skywalker have the most pulp adventure serial elements. It's there in the structure. It's there in the pace. It's there in the kind of tone of just like, except the strangeness. There's (laughs) monsters and evil wizards. Go with it. Um, And I think some audience members struggle with the pulp lineage of those films. I think they're mm-hmm. not sure about it. And I wonder if people would feel different if they were approaching it from these are, this is the DNA of Star Wars. It can evolve from it, but this is one major chunk of where these films come from and why Solo and Rise of Skywalker are like that. Yeah. I, can I fund this study? Um, <laughs> I'd like to know. And, and I, the reason I kind of keep harping on this series is, it, it is it's, uh, I never, I always want to try to never finger wag, but some of the more frustrating conversations I've had around those two movies. There's, there, again, there's things in those movies you are not going to like, or you, hey, I'd rather they do this than that. that. That's not what I'm saying. But there are those kind of elements where, like the Rise of Skywalker pacing conversation that happened. Um, was it paced faster? Probably, definitely faster than The Last Jedi. Um, but I think after the second viewing, I think the pace slows down and you're seeing all the sights on the road that you need to see. It does move fast, but then that Star Wars itself, New Hope, moves so fast. You're in that Death Star uh, in the trash compactor so fast. Uh, and then that you get out of that. And then and just as a kid, I remembered every sequence and was blown away about how just short and uh, the, the whole day was. It was almost like a one big, long, bad day, but it really, you know, whatever <laughs> it was over the course of a couple of days. Anyways, all I have to say, yeah, I, I would like to, to, to find out why that is is uh, often overlooked. Because um, even, the, sorry, the beginning of Rise of Skywalker I, with Poe and Finn and Chewie and, and Bolio and Claude, that is that is Saturday morning 1934 serial stuff to me. Mm-hmm. The creatures and the light speed skipping and the weird worlds and Claude himself, as you and I always mention. And, and, and that can trip some people up too, which is okay. Being tripped up is okay. Um, but I, yeah, that's a, that's a discussion maybe for a, for another time. as mass Yeah. Yeah. Like even for me, we've talked about it plenty, so I don't need to, to belabor it, but the somehow Palpatine return, like yeah, that's a pulpy line, you know, even the prequels, I think, uh, have a little bit more of Lucas going like, yeah, I, I, I'm solid on my myth. I'm telling this Faustus story of Anakin. Uh, but then I also just want to have beasts and chases and I want to have people talk in a weird heightened way. <laughs> like, uh, and uh, like we always say, um, 
hey, if you didn't like a, a film, you did enjoy it, it wasn't to your taste, then there's your answer. But if people want to enjoy something more, I sometimes wonder if really embracing, I'm going to watch parts of Star Wars that I wasn't sure about before, entirely from the perspective of this is the the great, great, great grandchild of Flash Gordon in the shadow. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would that would that allow people to enjoy those aspects more if they wanted to? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I'm so many other thoughts of, of just I don't have answers to questions of uh, uh, prequel prequels versus Lord of the Rings, which were uh, the DNA the same of the myth, but different presented in way different ways. And for me personally, I kept doing the uh, I'd really love a Star Wars. It's like two towers, you know. Whether I mean, we might get it, but like. George was doing something different, you know, you know, and I, I got tripped up on that a lot. You know what I mean? And then, yeah, comes out, you and I talked about, you know, I, I, I've never seen a matrix to this day because I still hold some uh, contempt against it for the 1999 conversations about how better it was than Phantom Menace <laughs> for my friends. Um, and that's even at a time where I didn't love Phantom Menace or even going to Nolan and Dark Knight. And, and those are, those are movies doing what Nolan wants to do with those superhero movies, which works for Batman. And when, when the Lucasfilm sale happened, I, I had those thoughts and said those thoughts of, Oh, cool. I can get kind of like a dark night star Wars. Um, which doesn't, it doesn't mean you don't get dark or it doesn't get dark, real, real dark stuff at, at times in Star Wars. But um, yeah. even then I, my point being, I, I even, I stepped away from what is a big thread through Star Wars, that serial adventure. Yeah, yeah. The it, it, to me, it is about the pacing. It's about the tone. And it's about the just. It's not like dark things happen. A ton of dark things happen <laughs> in pulp and adventure serial, particularly pulp. Uh, it, it is to me more just about that weird and lurid and bright colors and what is that and having much more to do just about the explosion of uh, of strange fantasy uh, than did it all track. You know, to me, it isn't even about the. I know what you're saying, though, about the the gritty and the serious versus the silly. You know? I, was, I was just going to say to maybe wrap up my thoughts. And is, is sometimes it is. And, and, and look, the Lord of the Rings trilogy has many funny moments and second breakfast and all this kind of jokes. But it's mostly somber and serious because that's probably the source material. And I, I, I think it's OK to want that. I still want that in a lot of star, storytelling. Uh, you know, I, I don't want House of the Dragon to be a comedy, you know, when it comes out. Yeah. Um, but I think I sometimes just, uh, that, that doesn't necessarily apply to Star Wars. It's Star Wars is not somber. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so we could go off on uh, to even more <laughs> tangents, but let's try to crawl back to the crawls. I, I think for me, the value of that tangent is for me, the crawls in many other indicators open up that conversation of how do you, how do you receive Star Wars? How is Star Wars to- telling you it wants to be received? Um, but we will get back to the crawls themselves. Do you think the crawls should continue uh, in new shows, new films? And if they do, do you think they should evolve? Um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, and, and, and I think some of the discussion points we're going to have here in this section, my answer at the surface is never, never. But Star Wars is about change. All right. But I'm going to look not this. But no, no, I do think in a way, uh, let me just say this. I enjoyed the solo reworking, which, mm-hmm. by the way, was just taken from the movie Willow, which having not seen Willow for, I don't know, 20 plus years. Uh, watched it at the beginning of uh, uh, the, the Disney Plus when, uh, when uh, you know, we were all home in this early stages of the pandemic and, and Grace had never seen Willow. I said, let's watch this. It popped up and I went, 
Oh yeah, Ron Howard and everyone took from Will. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, speaking <laughs> of that, we're learning. Um, so I really like those, and I would be happy if those were kind of what we got from from now on. But with the movies, say if they do an old Republic series, you, crawl me, baby. You're gonna need to crawl. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to crawl uh, for yeah. the old Republic, uh, and yeah. that that sentence can be taken two ways, and both are true. I want to <laughs> crawl for old Republic, and, and 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 not because I I want um, the state of the galaxy or the story, or I want the information, but just that the the vibe, the fun, the spirit of it that it's a Star Wars uh, series. You know, if we do the one-offs, the standalones, different experience for me. Um, and I do wish Rogue One had the, what they did with Solo. I really, I really wish mm-hmm. it did. Um, you know what I mean? Like an old, old Republic or High Republic movie or whatever, a series of new movies comes out. I want the crawl because that is part of the package. Yeah. I think for me, I want it to be, I, I want the information uh, to, to center fans about like yeah. the where and the when. Uh, I want the mood. And I want the possibility of different stories to kind of give us these these fun context clues of how to receive them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, it's a big yes to the crawls continuing or text of any any kind continuing. But I'm happy if it evolves like the um, like the solo slash willow text um, yeah. or the Clone Wars newsreel, right? Like I, I think it's sh- what it what it should be, how it should be involved is about what mood is trying to be conveyed, right? Yeah. Um, for like solo that just sort of like almost documentary like right mm-hmm. of like here's here's the situation in it it conveys longing and desperation it it tells you why coaxium matters mm-hmm. it, it's really giving you a pointer of like this is not a random macguffin it is what what this is the key to power and power is freedom uh and, and everybody is scrabbling for it and here's this specific character who is longing for freedom. So it gives you important information, but it also puts you in that mood of, of where Solo is at. Uh, it's about longing and desperation, right? Yeah. Um, in the evolution of the, the Clone Wars being newsreels, uh, uh, verbal newsreels, it, it gives it that context of like, this is, it, it's very much like what actual newsreels were during actual World War II, right? Yeah. So yeah. it puts you in that state of mind of like the, the there's a million things going on in the galaxy and most of them are conflict. Here's what you need to know. Yeah, um, you just uh, you just uh, said something there um, that's I think really interesting as 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 we you know to ask this question of should they evolve or should they remain and uh, and that the, the context clue thing going to the solo one uh, it, it's 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 easy just kind of it's the movie's beginning and you're excited and and you maybe not paying attention to every word on the screen. Um, the, the 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 hyperfuel being treated uh, as a random MacGuffin, which happens a lot in conversations around that movie, I, I do think is just uh, generally incorrect because uh, the the movie gives you the the here's what it means right in the beginning, and I think you're right to point that out. So I do think like Rogue One eh, could have suffered a little bit at the beginning in 2016. It's a well received movie. Um, that's why I love having these, the, the news, the news, uh, uh, the news, uh, things on Clone Wars. Do you know how many times in Clone Wars report, uh, we're sit- I have to remind myself to listen to Tom Kane. <laughs> Cause I'm just like settling down. I got my laptop. I got my soda, whatever I'm going to do here. And it's like, Oh yeah, Tom Kane said, all right, I got to listen. Cause he's telling me what's going on. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a hard time when we sit down to do Clone Wars report, not rewinding the Tom Kane narration 800 times because right. The 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 vital ideas like what what's really going on in the galaxy uh, is often framed by that of like here 
you can watch the episode, and if you don't really listen to the newsreel, like, oh, the Jedi go to this planet and they do this thing. But the newsreel will always tell you, like, here's the sociopolitical reason that they're there. Here's what's at stake, um, which is another way to use these, which is really like, hey, you, you can sweep by and it can be an adventure. But if you really want to dig into what it means, how it might relate to the real world, you can put those clues in the crawl as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. If they continued, if there were a new version of crawls or text, would you want them to evolve in language? Because it's not just the existence of the crawls. It is the uh, dynamic, heightened style of yesteryear in the actual text, which is one of these sort of context clues of, of how to embrace this film. Do you think words like striking and doom, <laughs> you know, uh, should, uh, you know, uh, continue? Absolutely. Again, I'm I'm stubborn in my thoughts on this series about change. Uh, I absolutely uh, love that. It, it is part of the fun. Uh, it adds to it. It, it. it all the things we've been talking about of what these crawls, uh, what long time ago Galaxy Far Far Away does for you, it just puts you in a different frame of mind. And I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, the start of Rise of Skywalker just being the dead speak exclamation point is it is. I know a lot of people aren't okay with that text and aren't okay with Palpatine coming back. And like always, I respect that opinion, but I feel like that is like the crawl being in lockstep with the film of like, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, evil space wizards are going to cling to life. That's what we're doing here. Come on along on the adventure if you want. And if not, that's cool too. But I just feel like that language is telling you like, if if you think that, you know, uh, th the phrase the First Order reigns is like a little too hyperbolic and comic booky, you're going to encounter some other problems in the film. <laughs> is it a litmus test? Because I'm on board. <laughs> yeah, and I really don't want to frame it as, you know, you should like this. It, it, to me, it's just so important about like, I, I do think it's a big part of what Star Wars is. And it's what Star Wars is asking you to accept in order to sort of uh, be on the same page as it. Yeah, no, and look, I, maybe you and I are kind of struggling in in, in a similar way to convey some of the stuff in this episode here. I put a lot more uh and ums into my sentences, but uh, we're, this, the crawl is key. It isn't just fun words at the beginning. It's very key to the history. It's very key to what Star Wars is trying to communicate, and I do think it's easy to overlook it. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you if you had any other big picture thoughts on the crawls, but you nailed it. Uh, my only thought is I really like them. <laughs> well, I, I I have one more. Um, I can't be the only one. I know I'm not the only one. Joseph, you might do this too. When watching these movies alone, I read these crawls aloud in some faux British narrator voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I say them to myself uh, uh, when alone. Uh, I'll ask Sarah next time when I watch it with my wife. Like, could, Would it be okay with you if I read these aloud? <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, Grace wouldn't mind either. She'd probably laugh and giggle. But yes, I 100% really do do this, even on the treadmill while watching them. I, I just read them. The dead speak. I just, it's it's part of the fun. It is absolutely part of the fun. And we're going to get into that fun because in the second half of our episode today, we are going to take a look at the actual text from the original trilogy and dive into our thoughts there. All that in just a moment. 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we are back to look at the opening crawl of the original trilogy. I'm so excited. Can you talk about getting to read these? Uh, so, you know what? Why don't you read this first one? Uh, do you have it up in front of you? <laughs> I do, I do. I'll try not to be as annoying as I am by myself. Go for it. Uh, I, I say make this a performance. Uh, <laughs> show your true rebel heart. The music blares. It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against the evil galactic empire. During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Emperor's Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, Princess Leah races home aboard the <laughs> starship, custodian of the stolen plans that can save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Four dots. That is great. Great reading, uh, and I love your uh, controversial pronunciation. <laughs> I mean, come on. Jan Dodonis says it. 
Gotta go with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, can you imagine if uh, if Leia pulled him aside after that meeting? Is like, thanks for everything. It's Leia. <laughs> I would love that scene. I would love that. <laughs> All right, let's get into the actual text of that crawl. Great performance. Uh, where does this crawl rank for you? And and what are your favorite parts of the actual text? Ooh, I actually think, and and for those longtime Force Center listeners, I think there's an older Star Wars ranked of of the crawls. It was, I think it's episode 45. I looked that up. I don't remember one single word I said on it. <laughs> so if you're like, well, episode 45, Star Wars ranked, you put it here. So I uh, love revisiting, especially now the Skywalker saga is uh, complete. Uh, quotes around complete. This one remains perhaps my favorite one. Mm. And it might just because uh, be because it's kind of the first one through the gate, even though I saw Return of the Jedi in the theaters first, even though I've grown to love Empire, I think this one for me is it's the template for Star Wars. It is it is the one that they they knew they had to get right. And I love the stories of the longer versions and and Milius and others coming in to help George uh, rework this and getting just the right one. And I'm fascinated with the first one out of the gate being the one that we compare the rest to. And so this this one probably is my favorite. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, I think I have another one that might edge it out for being my favorite, but it is. It's so fresh and exciting. It is. It's the template. There's so much in uh, Star Wars, uh, A New Hope. Um, that's like, wow, it's just this explosion of creativity of like, well, what if for this one movie? And then <laughs> it's set. Like, that's what stormtroopers look like. That's what the uh, Imperial and Republic wall paneling looks like. That's it. We're done. That's what boxes look like. There we go. We're set. Uh, there's so much. And this is such an important one that just sets that tone. It is uh, so fresh and exciting. Um, I think for me, it's just, it's really thinking about what it was when it came out because it is the first one of this isn't George Lucas going. I like uh, the, the adventure serials. I like that flash Gordon. I like, you know, pulps and eh, throw some myths in. I'm not going to try to just like sneak it by people that it's going to have some pulp inspirations, but don't worry. It's going to be cool. This is him getting like a blowhorn and yelling. <laughs> I like the nerdy flash Gordon stuff. I'm and, not trying to hide it in any way. Yeah. And his friends going, George, what are you, what are you trying to make nerdy flesh Gordon stuff? Like we're trying to make apocalypse now, man. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's so bold. It's just yeah. so bold in that context, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and, it and, and, uh, new hope itself, star Wars, whatever you want to say, episode four, uh, as a movie, like I've overlooked it in, in parts of my star Wars fandom, just because it was the first one. And you kind of looking at it, it's like a you know, band's first album, whatever what example you want to say, where it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were still working out what they wanted to be, but I, I like it. I like it. And I think I've grown to appreciate Star Wars more than may, maybe I did in the mid to late 90s, you know? Yeah, yeah, because you get used to it because it's just the template. And, you know, it's, I do think that that first chunk with R2 and 3PO, it, it moves a little bit slower than the pace really picks up. But, yeah, you can look at it like, all these other ideas and characters aren't there yet. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you can stop seeing it as, as it was when, when it yeah. first exploded on the scene and what it means. Yeah. Um, for this actual text, uh, just some of the words that I really like, uh, the phrases of striking from a hidden base, that's mm -hmm. such a pulp uh, adventure seal, serial word of like the shadow strikes, you know, uh, everything wants to be exciting and action packed to grab your attention. Um, another turn of phrase that I really like is the pursued by the empire's sinister agents. It's, 
it's heightened and that's the point it's not trying to be cool or casual or subtle it's trying to be big and explosive and loud that's the goal and i love those words yeah uh striking from a hidden base got me early and which which is why when they announced rogue one i was like finally uh, it wasn't just a, you know, oh, Star Wars is, uh, they just tell a story about everything. It was like stri- striking from a hidden base, like rebel space. Like this is it, man. Rebel spies, yeah. man, secret plans. Like I, I spent decades dreaming about those words. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a huge power of it. Uh, another thing for me, just really looking at it fresh is how much it centers Leia as the hero, right? Like this is where our story is beginning as she is the one who is uh, mid adventure and she's the one who begins this journey. hundred percent and and self rescuing princess, but you know, it's a team effort there in the end, but you know, it's it's, that, that, that princess, that title of princess really sets you up for the old, uh, the old stereotypes of it, the old stories of the princess locked away. And she definitely is at one point locked away, but you're so right. I grew up just thinking the rebellion was Leia and George will tell you, it was kind of the point, but Dodonna, all these other people, Riken comes along. I'm like, no, Leia's, Leia's in charge. And it just, it comes from this last sentence in the, in the crawl. Yeah. Princess Leia races home, you know, custodian of the stolen plants. It's like it it is. It's it's centering her and and she is active. Uh, The first thing we hear about Princess Leia, she is racing to save people and restore freedom to the galaxy. It's so active. Um, You touched on it a little bit here, but I want to dive into what is the the power of the first part of Star Wars? Uh, We got a long time ago, uh, but then this comes and you know, particularly in 1977, when it's just Star Wars, the first anything of Star Wars is starting mid-adventure. What do you think is the power of that? It, it, it's it's a, a Force Center favorite phrase, tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And before I even understand what that means, and before I can even have an intelligent conversation about that, one day I will be able to. I, it, 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 it just, the feeling of there's more was not lost on me. There's stories to tell. The, the space to wonder throwing that phrase in again there um it was powerful and it sent me off on a, a lifetime uh, you know before all this uh, all these stories are told or some of them are told I, i've told little little uh anecdotes about it too of just uh you know going to use bookstores desperate to find the journal of the wills these books i knew existed <laughs> or sitting in a grocery store and asking my mom who you know it, 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 it saw star wars with me but it was just like what, what, is, what does he mean obi-wan knew his dad what, what his dad was a jedi they, they tell me tell me tell me and and how much uh, uh that worked and then there was this weird point where you know again i you know you people could Throw, I can't remember exactly. They started labeling episode four as one of one of the re-releases, right? Yeah, 80, 81, April of eighty one, I believe, is there what you I go. have read. There you go. Um, so by then, I that had already been part of my life, but there was a part probably about you know shortly after seeing Jedi where it kind of dawns on you beyond just the wonder, but the actual of oh, there's three episodes missing, <laughs> right? <laughs> so exciting. Yeah, I, I'm so with you. I, I, the tip of the iceberg uh, is a thing I started saying early in our in our punditry, and we discuss it uh, often. And sometimes, like, eh, stop saying the same damn thing, self. But uh, I can't because it's such a it, to me a crucial part of Star Wars is this feeling like there is any frame of Star Wars that you pick, any character that you pick, if you stayed with them just a little longer you would see another absolutely thrilling thing. 
that just off the frame, there's some other exciting thing that happened mm-hmm. uh, before or is just about to happen or is going to happen in the future. And for me, I think that's a part of the huge appeal of uh, Star Wars, the the first film, of asking all those questions. Like, Ooh, what's the Clone Wars? You know, what actually did happen to his dad? What kind of adventures did Obi-Wan have when he was a Jedi Knight? Like, who else has Han swindled? You know, like, how did he get in trouble with Jabba? It just, it invites you to wonder all of these great things, right? Um, so that is a part of the appeal. But I think for me, it's so essential because I think it's still a part of what's going on with Star Wars is... Um, again, we can have those really understandable conversations about like, are we revisiting the old too much? And I think the reason I feel different is when somebody's like, you know what? Uh, I know it sounds bonkers, but I want a Max Rebo show. <laughs> right, right. To me, it isn't this like, uh, we're revisiting what we always know. It's fulfilling the promise of this crawl of mm-hmm. there's something more to everything that I want to know more about this thing. And I feel like that's, so present in the Mandalorian in Boba Fett. It's not like Boba Fett's cool. Everybody likes him. Let's re-examine him. It's like, I want to know the rest of that story. I want to have that adventure. I want to see that iceberg, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of our conversations. It's just great too. They just that we're talking about, come here to talk about the crawls, but now we're just talking about our overall uh, approaches to Star Wars and fandom. I, I think you're onto something here of when we talked earlier about set Star Wars kind of getting set aside by you know a certain type we are of that type and doesn't mean all star wars fans love it and again does not mean that hey maybe they're going to the well here or this and that just i don't think it's wrong to ask those questions but i think in general i'm with you and i think a lot of people are with you uh you know i would say i have a i have a friend i used to work with the uh comedian he's a friend of the rock and a fan of the houston astros a lot of you might know who that is he texts me all the time be like i can't I know, Kenobi, like, what are we doing this for? Like, we got to unturn every rock. And I'm like, yes, unturn every rock because it is part of this large Star Wars galaxy. And I'm obsessed with these stories. I do want the Max Rebo story. I want to know <laughs> how he made up with the figuring Dan or remember the modal notes. I want to know that because it just adds to this giant sprawling myth and the lore of it all. And and that's different from a little bit of other things. I, I you know Game of Thrones. I do want some answers. I don't need every corner figured out for me. Uh, and even then, George R. R. Martin plays with the unreliable narrator. He'll give you an answer, and then later on say, "Yeah, guess what? That's that answer, not the other answer." Um, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings is big and giant. I don't spend a ton of time wondering of, well, where were the armies of the North during the Battle of Minas Tirith? I, you know, I'll, I'll ask that every now and then. But Star Wars, I'm like, yeah, I'd love to know that. What were they doing? I'm fascinated that Boba Fett is crawling out of the Sarlacc pit. We're watching that right now. And there's a battle of on Endor happening right now. Like, I yeah. love that. I love that. It, I want the rocks unturned. Right. And then there's a million other adventures going on right now. I think that's it. I think you're hitting on something that's really important for me in the way I want to approach Star Wars is it's not that I want things explained. I even like it when when stories and Star Wars in particular leave lots of uh, room for interpretation. Mm. So it's not that I want more things explained. It's not that I want to know the backstory of every character. What I want is to embrace this youthful thrill of, hey, I got a context clue that there's an adventure over there to the left. Mm-hmm. Let's go. What's that adventure? I want to see it. And, and to just reconnect it back to this first crawl where the very first Star Wars thing starts with another adventure, another story that you could hear. And that spirit of what's that story? I want to hear it. 
eventually becomes the fan loved film Rogue One. Yeah, you know that's just like that's that's a big part of Star Wars to me is the promise that it's fun to wonder what's over there and it's fun to go why not let's go see what's over there. Yeah, and I want new stories and more new stories, and then I want Alex and Molly to explain them to me the timeline <laughs> and what did I miss in Easter because that's valuable to me. That's part of what I love about being a Star Wars fan. I love that. But yeah, I'm with you. The hey, let's go over here vibe. Like we're all on a field trip through this galaxy. <laughs> What's over here? Uh, I'll always be obsessed with that. And it does begin with this first crawl. Rebel spies managed to sell secret plans. How? Please tell me. How? And what a great and meaningful adventure it ended up being. Yeah. And, and why was it important? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what other clues about the film are in this text? Like if you were reading this text to go, okay, uh, if this is helping me absorb, uh, you know, what the story is, in what the style is and what the tone is, uh, what do you think is being told? I, I, the, the stakes, man, are so high. Raise the stakes from improv to your space wars. You've got to raise the stakes. The galaxy is an absolute peril right from the start. The state, the civil war. Um, now that does give you, I don't want to say it gives you an air of uh, two armies on equal footing there, uh, but it does talk about, again, peril. And then very clearly, <laughs> the empire is the bad team. <laughs> right we could, yeah we can have discussions about who was on the death star and uh, those kind of fun things but i like you uh, i think that sometimes that became a dominant topic in a lot of discourse of uh, well we, we got to hear the empire's perspective no we got to see Bodie rook making it right and yeah maybe a stormtrooper didn't understand they blew up alderaan because he was on the other side of the death star and looking out the wrong window got it but the empire is the bad team and restoring the freedom that was lost is the key to this particular story yeah i'm I'm right there with you i think also with this being the first film there is more moral ambiguity and wrestling that gets introduced uh to the story uh but the big picture uh darth sidious uh palpatine not in this crawl but his empire is and it's an empire uh of bad yes. <laughs> it is not good. Uh, it, it, there is more complexity that gets introduced into Star Wars, but I'm really fascinated with in 1977 when a lot of the films were moral gray areas and what are the responsibilities of individuals who got caught up in unfair systems or, you know, was this, are, are these wars or conflicts we should be in in the real world, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all the, the effects of crime in the real world, that this was this breath of fresh air of like, in this story, in this part of it, there's no ambiguity. Leia's the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> Darth Vader's a bad, bad man who should be defeated. Yeah, yeah, and you're still right. The Empire of Dreams talk does such a great job of just setting the the scene of, uh, you know, the movie's French connection and everything coming out, <laughs> all those movie posters they show in the beginning of that doc. And George has clearly thoughts on those that are in these movies, but he comes back and gives us the, even a bigger picture of, you know, that bad time I told you about and that bad team that I was, uh, you know, we were fighting against. How do we get to that are some valuable stuff that Star Wars does. And so who get that chance? But, yeah, I love what you're saying here of uh, Star Wars is very clear what it's trying to say based on this crawl. Alone. Yeah. I also just think for me, just looking at this for, for tone, you know, there are it's just a hyperbolic kind of language that you find in Pulp's Adventure Serials comic books, you know, striking sinister agents, but also in all caps, it's called the Death Star, <laughs> right? This is just telling you there might be absolutely great emotional subtlety or thematic depth 
Uh, but on the surface, this is a big, loud adventure. It's called the Death Star in all caps. <laughs> you know, on the surface, say goodbye to subtlety. <laughs> and somewhere Noah Jabel reads that and says, <laughs> preposterous. <laughs> exactly. A Death Star. This is nonsense. That's uh, what Noah Jabel said in the theater in 1977. <laughs> he, he got up and said, good day, sir, and left the theater. <laughs> this is ridiculous. I'm going to see the French Connection. Um <laughs> Nothing against the French connection. Uh, I also think it's powerful that restore is in this first text, right? Uh, That they're restoring this is the idea that this is a film about getting back to a version of what was lost. And there's a lot of, uh, that's a very deep and complex topic to me. So without going super into it, for me, it is yet another point where the original film is involved in nostalgia that, Mm -hmm. Our fresh young heroes are trying to restore what was lost. That is nostalgia. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. 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 It's great. Uh, so you you got some actual answers to this question, uh, but I wanted to see any other thoughts you have. I, I did want to imagine being an adult in 1977 uh, and seeing this and knowing, hey, it's the Flash Gordon crawl in either being excited by your own childhood nostalgia of, great, I get to go on a thrill ride like Flash Gordon. Or, like our imagined Norja Bell, rolling your eyes and going, oh, it's this pulpy drivel? Get me out of here. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, again, shout out to my friend Dan Farron for just, uh, I love his, uh, his, his love for it then, saying it added to my enjoyment of Star Wars, which means he already had enjoyment in place, but added to it because of what it, uh, it meant to his uh, own childhood at that point. Um, to try to put myself back in the place, I, I always get caught up of like, if I was, um, you know, more than a goo goo gaga baby there rolling around in the back of that van, uh, I would have been blown away by that star destroyer. I just obsessed with right. uh, that, but, but the crawl itself, I think, yeah, I, I think I would have really appreciated, uh, uh, kind of knowing what was coming in a way like, cause you know, especially then, like, what was this crazy thing we were going to get? Uh, and, yeah. and space movie, like another 2001 Space Odyssey, a long, dark tone poem of reflection and human frailty. I don't know. No. Like it, boom, this crawl uh, pops up, all these details, all these words. I, I got to imagine I would have been on board. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for myself, uh, given my general life trajectory, uh, obviously I would have been on board. Um I think it's really fascinating. I love thinking about it. And I'm so glad you found somebody who actually had that experience (laughs) and could directly answer that question. But in my mind, imagining like, obviously a lot of kids uh, were just grabbed by Star Wars. And if you were 12, maybe you didn't know that then, right? Yes. Uh, But in 1977, if you were, you know, in your 40s and one person could have the reaction to be like, ah, awesome. I love that kind of stuff. And it's back and in a different way. Cool. And somebody else going like, this is trash. Why, why are we revisiting the trash of our youth? (laughs) You know, to me, that is a reminder that, you know, uh, in, in our own pop culture, we fight timeless battles. And I, I feel like it's, it's this great reminder that Star Wars has always had attention to it, that Mm -hmm. we can forget because, Star Wars is so dominant in pop culture and you can have jokes about like, Oh, you, you, Star Wars. Uh, are, are, is it, is this interesting? You like Star Wars? One of the most popular things ever made, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm seeing like, there's even like a Forbes article about like Boba Fett book of Boba Fett's not doing well. It's like 6% lower on rotten tomatoes. And just for me, it's a reminder of as popular as Star Wars is it's always had a tension where some people have said it's pulpy drivel. Right. 
why are we spending time with it? You know, um, it, it, as fans right now, we can get really obsessed with the Rotten Tomatoes scores and uh, and critic reviews. But just reminding, remembering that Star Wars has had some real up moments with critics and it's had some real this is pulpy trash uh, reactions. Yeah. Partially because of some of what's in the the crawl. Um and that that has been a part of this discussion of what Star Wars is and for a long time. And it survived that enough. It, it Star Wars speaks to enough people that even when like, you know, uh, the, the prequels, I don't know if you know this, Ken, the prequels were not well reviewed. What? No, no. <laughs> no. So, you know, we, we live in a modern time and maybe the reviews mean something different in our modern context. I think that's a valuable conversation. But for me, it's just a reminder that Star Wars has always had this tension where some people are going to be excited by the pulpy. Some are going to be put off by it and some are just going to ignore it. But that tension of is it going to be critically held up is, uh, you know, amazing art. That's always been in debate. Oh yeah, I lo- and I love going on YouTube and finding those old clips. Usually they're Alec Guinness, just people saying, "Don't t- don't take this too seriously." Uh, but even then, you can find Guinness saying positive things about Star Wars. Trust me. But um, yeah, I love that. I'm fascinated with that, and and, and I think um, again, we've talked to recently on some shows uh, about uh, Lucas the artist and Lucas, uh, you know, just really doing what he wants to do. Um, success be damned, and 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 it doesn't mean I think everything in the, in the prequels is a home run, but I just love that that's there present, and then it, it, he by especially by the prequels, he's he's just kind of it frustrated him, and we know this, and um, things got pretty tense, but I just love some of the stuff you hear Ahmed Best saying now of like, nah, George in '99 said, don't worry, in 20 years this is going to be loved. I've been here before, I've <laughs> been here before, and we'll we'll be here again. Yeah, mm-hmm. timeless pop culture uh, discussions. We're going to move on then, unless you have any other thoughts. To Empire Strikes Back, you ready? Let's do it. All right, I, I will. Uh, I'll read this one. I, I will not attempt to to do your wonderful British accent. <laughs> yes, yes, wonderful. <laughs> It is a dark time for the rebellion. Although the Death Star has been destroyed, Imperial troops have driven the rebel forces from their hidden base and pursued them across the galaxy. Evading the dreaded Imperial Starfleet, a group of freedom fighters led by Luke Skywalker has established a new secret base on the remote ice world of Hoth. The evil Lord Darth Vader, obsessed with finding young Skywalker, has dispatched thousands of remote probes into the far reaches of space. Four dots. <laughs> uh, there's so much going on here so where does this one uh rank for you what are your favorite parts of this one uh this one still ranks pretty high there might be my own nostalgia attached to that empire um but this is also the first one um uh, that i really noticed and, and jedi does this too but like i i'm obsessed with the ending of this one uh, we can talk about what it means, but I love mm-hmm. that it's like Star Wars, the sequel to the greatest movie of all time. That Death Star has been exploded. Here's the situation. And also, we're going to take you to this little moment where a probe is going towards a planet. It's such a small, tiny moment. <laughs> it means everything, as we'll talk about. But I've yeah. always been obsessed with that, that this is kind of the, also the purpose of the crawls. It's the big, but also let's pan down, pan up, you know, wherever you, the camera's going to take you. I'm obsessed with those two as well in Star Wars to this real small start to the story that's pretty important. I love that about this particular crawl. Yeah, yeah. It's preserving that sort of click cliffhanger vibe of like, when we left the the Rebels, it looked like things were going great. They had destroyed the Death Star, but wait. <laughs> yeah, to- no, it's totally previously on Star Wars. It totally is that. 
they've had a bad time. They've been chased across the galaxy. Now, what are they up to? Will they be found? Will the bad guys catch up to the good guys? Yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that you're right that it also just, uh, they tee up the moment of the beginning so well, yeah. uh, as well as the big picture. I think this one might be one of my very favorites, I think, just because of Empire, you know, meaning a lot to me as I as I grew up. Yeah. Um, I think it is a dark time for the rebellion. That starting sentence like that tells you so much about what this chapter is going to be. And that's part of the reason that Empire, I, I loved it as a kid, uh, but then it kept meaning a lot to me as I was going through um, adolescence and, and early adult life because I felt like, well, look, even my heroes get their asses kicked. <laughs> and I feel like in little ways and small, as I try to grow up, I'm getting my ass kicked. And there's something powerful about watching uh, my heroes go through that. So it is a dark time for the rebellion is a phrase that I use back and forth with friends with for like an actual answer for how are you of like, you know, <laughs> uh, I know, you know, you, you went on that date. How is it going? It is a dark time for the rebellion. Did you apply for that job? It is a dark time for the rebellion. It, it's been like a refa- refrain of comfort for years. I love that. It's great because again, the, the the going back to 1980. I mean, you're coming out of a, a pretty big movie with a big happy ending, and this is one of the first times uh, a sequel, you know, sequels as we know historically at this point, eh, it didn't work. You know, they got the movies got worse and worse and worse the more you did uh, more chapters in the story. So to come out of that happy movie and just be like. First sentence, it's a dark time. It's a different story. <laughs> yeah. Pretty risky. You're right. Yeah, like this is not trying to repeat that go get them thrill of what if the uh, the nobodies, the underdogs could defeat the impossibly strong empires. Like, eh, they won a victory, but not the war. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And then uh, also I have to just shout out the word obsessed. I'm sure this is <laughs> probably the first time I encountered the word obsessed. Uh, that's what the name of my other podcast is. I name my podcast that because this idea of what is the line between, you know, being uh, just liking something versus being obsessed with it. What does obsessed mean? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with the word obsessed. Uh, so the fact that this is probably where I was introduced to the word is also uh, uh, something important to, to me in my own life. It's a powerful word. It, it, it is one that jumps off uh, the screen with that crawl too. I, I um, didn't start a podcast based off on it, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it just was this. It could, for me, uh, even even in my youth and probably maybe more my early teens, there was a sense of panic in Vader because of that, right? Which which just kind of shows up a, a few times, and as the Vader story unfolds in more comics and everything, and the Cold War between him and Palpatine, blah blah blah. But just like watching it, and taking it as that, it's like. He's obsessed and he's a little panicked about it. It was an interesting place for Vader to be. Yeah, obsessed can suggest a loss of control. So if you're coming out of uh, Star Wars where Vader lived, but he lost, like, why is he obsessed? with? (laughs) Why are you so obsessed with Luke? (laughs) That's a compelling question. Uh, How did you process growing up the text that says Luke is the leader? But then you get to see Leia and Rican uh, seem to really be in charge. Look, man, I'm glad you brought this up. It's maybe <laughs> my only big bone of contention of all the things George Lucas and his team have done. This confused the hell out of me as a little kid. First of all, it's, uh, you know, slightly disrespectful to Leia there. I get it. Luke got the medal, saved the day. But as you and I have talked about uh, ad nauseum here, he had a little help from a lot of other people. Uh, there's some great Leia stuff in this movie, of course. But yeah, no, I, 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 I. I still wrestle with it. It's just not right. It's not entire, <laughs> entirely correct. Yeah, I think for me, like, I definitely did wrestle with it. Uh, 
but I also just let it go as a kid because um, I've been talking about this a lot with some of the uh, the popularity of MCU of just uh, rem- being reminded that as a younger person, uh, when you would see pop culture things you'd like, they'd often just be wrong. Like, okay, well, that's uh-huh. Batman or that's Captain America or whatever, but that's uh, that's not exactly the way it is in the comics. But okay, it's, it's never exactly right. So I think I was just kind of like, ah, oh, okay, well, the crawls, well, a little wrong (laughs) and I was just kind of okay with that now as an adult and being able to analyze it I mean obviously it is um it is setting up that relationship between Vader and Luke but also I really take it as um yeah the the practical uh visual dictionary (laughs) yeah truth uh yeah Leia and Rican are in charge Uh, not Luke but it's not meant to be taken literally it's this is a myth where Luke is the central character luke is the warrior of hope luke is the one who is you know maybe maybe you can read it as a group of freedom fighters inspired by luke skywalker for me now it's something like take it on a mythic level take it on a thematic level not a literal level yeah that's where i where i land on it because even then the new hope crawl is probably not 100 percent accurate either with with the dodanos over there going hey i've done some things too okay (laughs) um what does a guy need to do to get in a crawl (laughs) yeah um but yeah no you're 100 percent right i think there is uh though leia is the flame that uh never burns out and part as part of her character I, i i think uh there's something you said about about Luke and the myth of Luke. Talk about Last Jedi and the weight of the myth and all those kind of things. And and should you have, be heroes? Do we need heroes? Luke is a hero at this point, and I think there's some truth to that. And I kind of engage with it on that level now. Yeah, that he he was the the new hope. He's the one who destroyed the Death Star. He's the one who you know the the person who got involved when they didn't have to, along with Han. Yeah. Uh, and this is the sort of the inspiration uh, moving the rebellion forward. Um, but Leia's clearly doing more leading. So what other clues about the film do you think are in this text? Uh, it's, it's, it's two jump out to me, uh, and the pursued, uh, the, the, the rebels being pursued by the empire just always gave me this, um, picture of the rebels being tired. It's exhausting. Mm. And when we meet them in, uh, in, in echo base, like, Nothing's going well. They can't adjust the speeders to the snow. There's, you know, you learn early, early on from, I think, one of the picture books or storybooks that a, a wampa ran roughshod over the base, right? Like, that, <laughs> right. It was a deleted scene and deleted concept of the movie, but like, yeah, you had that sense. And uh, obviously, what immediately happens with, with Luke and, and, and Han going to save him, but just always got the sense when Leia gathers Hobby and all the other fighters for that briefing, it's kind of like, all right, we're tired, but we got to do this. And I've always taken that from that word, just pursued, just the empire pursuing them across the galaxy. Yeah, that they're they're trying to evade the dreaded Imperial Starfleet. Like, this is all we're trying to do is just survive and get our feet back under us. We're not launching a new assault. We're just trying to get by. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You said two, so what, what was the other? Uh, so this uh, this idea of, um, it's it's uh, the idea is uh, relentless, and it comes from like the thousands of remote probes. Mm. And one of the things I love about Empire is you got the tired rebels, and you've got the walkers coming down on them. And I've talked about Trey Callum looking through his, uh, his binocular there and just being overwhelmed by this impressive foot of the Empire. The, the Super Star Destroyer. Uh, and, and the Imperial March, it's Vader's theme, but it's the Imperial March 
over the galaxy. And literally, George, going, remember that Star Destroyer that blew your minds in 77? This one is 19 times bigger, whatever it is. <laughs> and and the, the image of that and just that this tired uh, band of rebels is being pursued uh, obsessed, uh, uh, you know, an obsessed nature. The Empire, Vader's obsessed with Luke. The Empire is obsessed with the Rebellion. And there's thousands of probes and it will never stop. It's a relentless pursuit. Uh, and, and and I love that the Rebels have to fight back and try to emerge from from underneath that. Yeah, and, it, and that is telling you the structure of the film, right? Uh, can they get away? You know, can Luke escape literally? Can he escape emotionally? Uh, can Leia escape her feelings? Can Han and Leia just get somewhere safe after fleeing Hoth? You know, uh, it, it is all about the can we get away? Yeah. And you thought you got away. And now you're literally in the mouth and the belly of the beast. Yeah. 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 I, those are great, great observations. Um, I think for me, there's um, a couple things like I feel like that first sentence that I love so much. It is a dark time for the rebellion. It's like a content warning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like saying there's uh, some mild sci-fi violence uh, and, uh, you know, smoking. Uh, <laughs> but it is trying to tell you of like, hey, I, I know you walked out of uh, Star Wars in 1977 going, yeah, the good guys won. This is great. That's not going to happen this time. <laughs> yeah, we are. It's a dark time for the rebellion is like we warned you. So at the end, <laughs> when uh, Luke is uh, beat up, betrayed by his mentors, needs a robot hand. We warned you in the first sentence. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, the great movie Young Guns 2 Where Billy the Kid thinks his old buddy Pat Garrett is back And they're going to have great times And Pat Garrett says, ain't no more, Billy Ain't no more Ain't no more uh, The other thing that I think this uh, this text says to me In a really, really great pulpy way Is uh, what would later become a little bit of a, a hackneyed phrase uh, for storytelling But I feel like this crawl is saying This time, it's personal <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it sets the frame that you described so well of what the galactic battle is of the, the rebels struck a victory, but now they're just trying to escape this uh, dominant marching presence of the empire. But somehow within that, it's now about these twin poles. Now it's about Luke, who is a, a leader of freedom fighters and the evil Lord Darth Vader, who's obsessed with Luke. He's not obsessed with finding the rebels. He's obsessed with Luke. So it really tees you up for it's still going to be this big galactic uh, battle. But now there's something else going on. There's something personal going on. Really does set you up for that confrontation, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. So do you think in 1980, people are going into this film, if they were older, thinking about all the Star Wars comics they'd read about the rebels being pursued across the galaxy? This is all. This is a question I didn't think to ask uh, uh, my friend Dan or others. I think we should go on a mission and, and find those who sat in the theater <laughs> in 1980 and went, "Hold on, hold on, wait a minute." Did you all watch the holiday special? Um, they didn't mention it once in this film. I would love to know this. I have some of those comics from that era. I remember I had them in the mid 80s, and even after the fact, I was so confused by some of the stuff going on. Um, <laughs> so I've got to imagine you, because uh, again, as we know. Uh, the his historical context there empire wasn't uh you know well received by everyone there's a lot of that going on so i'd love to find some uh some threads there on that yeah i mean it, it's just fun to think about because we things change we're in a different time but i wonder if there was anyone 
who was sitting in the theater with their arms crossed going, if Jackson doesn't show up, this is crap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was Kevin Scott. He was a little young. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on then to the final crawl of the original trilogy, Return of the Jedi. And uh, Ken, let's bounce back to you. Why don't you give us uh, your best uh, British uh, interpretation of this text? Uh, Return of the Jedi, episode six. Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend Han Solo from the clutches of the vile gangster Jabba the Hutt. Little does Luke know that the Galactic Empire has secretly begun construction on a new armored space station even more powerful than the first dreaded Death Star. When completed, this ultimate weapon will spell certain doom for the small band of rebels struggling to restore freedom to the galaxy. Three. Three dots. A pure ellipsis. (laughs) A pure ellipsis. A pure ellipsis. That's so great. Uh, Very good reading. Where does this one rank for you and what are your favorite parts? All right. So love this one as a kid. Love this one. It's still great, by the way. It's probably slipping down the rankings for me. (laughs) But I still love it. Man. Why why does it slip down? um, Only because things that have come out since have uh, maybe taken its place for me which okay. which by the way going back to the conversation about new hope and how it's the first one and it can go overlooked i think that is this tale of return of the jedi the movie where it's it changes lives in many ways for people you know i'm seven new hope didn't change my life return of the jedi changed my life but then mm. over, over the years and I, don't know, I, I heard that I'm not supposed to like the Ewoks. And yeah, it was a second <laughs> Death Star. Hey, you know, Boba Fett goes into the Starlink pit and there's a burp. All that kind of stuff gets tossed on top of it. And therefore, you can start to uh, move away from Return of the Jedi a little bit. For the, so, Not everyone. Our, our pal Mark Ellis will say it's the greatest of all time. Uh, and, and he has never moved off that being his favorite Star Wars film. Uh, but for me, that's why even the crawl itself starts to slide down. It's nothing that the crawl did. It did everything it needed to do, and it changed my life. But other things have replaced it on my list. Yeah, uh, Star it. Wars. Okay, so what do you love in it? Uh, what I do love, though, is this. Uh, um, uh, I'm trying to put my mind in '83, but also looking at it now, uh, I love that uh, there's this this compassion from Luke. There's a battle going on, but he has returned home to save his friend. That. That didn't. That wasn't lost on me in '83, and it's lost. Not lost on me now. That's a great way to start. This big battle's going on, but there's some business that got to handle first. Hans, Hans still in trouble. Luke's gonna go save him. Yeah, th- this is a a great one. Um, it, it partially, I think I think I am most attached uh, to that first sentence. Uh, mm-hmm. That is just so thrilling. Uh, one one great moment <laughs> followed by another. Luke's going home to rescue Han from the vile gangster. Um, in terms of just tracking the sort of the heightened pulpy language, the clutches of the vile gangster is so great, right? You like, you can see that as like big, bold comic book art where Jabba's little (laughs) hand is actually reaching up and clutching, uh, you know, frozen Han Solo in his grasp. It's so, uh, it's so visual and engaging. Um, Also really love uh, certain doom, right? Like doom is one of those words that has really survived (laughs) in this thread of style of storytelling. You got Dr. Doom uh, in, in comic books and Marvel and Fantastic Four who refers to himself often as doom of doom does not approve. Doom owns this. Doom would never do that. Um, It's a big thing in, in Dr. Who doom pops up uh, a lot. Um, And I love seeing it in, 
Star Wars because it's one of those great uh, pulp turns of phrases of certain doom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, little does Luke know that one also stuck with me because that, that, that's a common phrase. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it is uh, it, it, that's one that I think about a lot when I don't know things. <laughs> <laughs> you think it's just Luke not not knowing of an entire second Death Star. That's great. Well, it's like, I mean, it, it is. It, it's uh, we can kind of get into what, uh, you know, what this one's telling us of like mm-hmm. it's telling us like like you were just saying, like Luke's got this other thing to do. Uh, so that's where we're going to kind of start. Uh, but also. Luke's got a much bigger problem that he doesn't even know about yet. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So I love that. So the Death Star is described as even more powerful. How do you feel about this heightening of stakes in the opening crawl? I mean, I, I loved it then. I still love it now, by the way. But I got to imagine if I was, I don't know, say 16 and at 1983, I would have been like, again, I understand that conversation. I just, it, it, it we, we could talk about it now at the, the cycle of, of evil repeating and it repeats in, in these uh, three films, right? You thought right. you defeated one thing and it's still there and it's, it's, it's a continued battle. We could have some deep conversations about that, but trying to go back to 83 again, I think it's a great way to look at it. It just made perfect sense. It's still going, man. And it's secret. That sets me up for what's coming too. Uh, you know, and we, you know, when I, this crawl didn't even really get into Palpatine. It's kind of a it's kind of the big reveal from the film, I guess, in a way. It's a big surprise. Uh, they give you the they give you the tantalizing taste of you're finally going to meet that Jabba character we've been talking about for all these years. But then the Palpatine shows up. So um, I love that. I love the the secret nature. I love the surprise, and that the bigger battle is still to be fought. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I have really come around. Um, I think maybe because Star Wars, you know, as the original trilogy movies were coming out, there's a so, such thrill of what we're going to see next. Mm-hmm. Uh, so feeling like, ah, but we already saw that. Um, but the from a thematic perspective, the lack of imagination of, of the dark side, right? To say, like, yeah. I built a big gun so I could point it at everybody and say, do what I say or I'll kill you. Uh, and the rebels blew it up. So I'm going to build another and it's going to be slightly bigger. And <laughs> when you blow this one up, I'm going to try to build an even bigger one, or I'm going to try to ha- attach uh, a big gun to as many things as possible. But I don't have any other idea other than point fear at somebody, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I think that really, really works as a story of, uh, of evil. The, the weapon is fear. I, yeah, you can't get more simple than that. And I don't want it to. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the thing, and I don't mean this is like a huge dig on return of the Jedi. I just think that sometimes, um, in our conversations about newer star Wars, the original trilogy can be held up, held up as utterly flawless. Mm -hmm. And obviously I love those films, but there aren't, you know, things to uh, pick at as well. And yeah, it's, it is just in the text where we're told it's more powerful, but I, but I want to ask you, do you feel like there are moments where, we are made to see or feel in the film that this Death Star is even worse than the first one. I, yeah, for, for me, yeah, I get, I get your, your question there. For me, it was uh, the reveal that it's operational and the fact that it's, it's not just, it, it, it's beyond just picking off planets. It's going to start picking you off one by one and quicker. There ain't no time. Mm. Ain't no 30 minutes to count down. <laughs> uh, ain't, ain't more, ain't, ain't no, ain't that. It, it, it's, it's, it is uh, active, and uh, faster, and the danger in that, and the shock, and Nine Numb and Lando just whoa! That blast came from the Death Star. It's absolutely one of my favorite moments in the sense of uh, the dread it brought into me. It was different for me in that regard. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, great. I love this. You're helping me with this. Uh, you're helping me with my my old uh, uh, Return of the Jedi issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's yeah. a repeatable beat and all those kind of things. I, I think I'm I, where with you are on that line of conversation a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I don't I don't care at all about that now. I, I was just really intrigued by that. And I think it 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 makes me think of the same kind of, you know, relationship that we were talking about of the empire crawl saying the freedom fighters were led by Luke. You're like, Hey, (laughs) uh, that great. It's good information to know, to, to really heighten the stakes that it's not just another death star. It's even more powerful. And I guess you could read that literally, um, in seeing that I don't, you know, that it's, uh, capable of blowing up two planets at once or it's, it's got a quick shot, (laughs) uh, facility or whatever. Uh, but I also just like the idea that, uh, I I love what you pointed out of like what makes it more dangerous is they think, they think the beast is asleep and it's not, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and viewing it as even more powerful from the perspective of it isn't just, a weapon to hold the galaxy under control through fear. It is a weapon to draw the rebellion in. It's a weapon to, uh, it's a way to weaponize the freedom fighters, uh, desire to stop it. Right. To, yeah, they right. want to restore freedom of the galaxy. They don't want there to be a good, big, uh, gun pointed at everybody. So a part of this power is using that passion against them to draw them in. It, 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 it's, um, it, Echoes of what, uh, or maybe Rise of Skywalker is echoes of this, of of that trailer line of, uh, you know, the, you're coming together will be your undoing. It's kind of the spirit of Palpatine in Rise of Skywalker. Oh, you think you're 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 two, and you're no, that's what I needed. Uh, now it turns out, you know, I needed this. Look look at this power. Thank you. And for the rebels to be like, we've got this big plan. We're gonna do the secret attack. Isn't it cool? And he's like, yep, yep, yep. Thanks. That's what I needed. Yeah. No, I think that's very well said. Yeah, I mean, he and he uses that as an actual, like, you know, twisting of the knife with Ray of like, you brought them here, right? Yeah, yeah. Skywalker. Right. And I love in Rogue One that that Draven, uh, when he is being negative, is like, well, what if it's just a, what if this Death Star is just a ruse to get our whole fleet in one place? And like, mm-hmm. not this time, but good thought, Draven. <laughs> <laughs> if only you had survived to that point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for talking through uh, that uh, that heightening of stakes in the text and in the film. Uh, so, what other clues about the film do you think are in this Return of the Jedi text? I I, uh, I, I may have uh, jumped ahead of myself and explained some stuff with the uh, the secret weapon, the Galactic Empire, but uh, I, I do uh, I, I do love that it's uh, it's such a personal journey for Luke as well, returning mm. home, and and that means a lot. Um, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and the sense of home in Star Wars is pretty uh, powerful and, and, and him having to go home uh, for the sole purpose of uh, saving a friend. I always loved uh, that kind of imagery uh, that the crawl made me think of. Yeah, yeah, that it is. It's again, it's intimate and personal, right? Of yeah. Han is the person who started out the cynic who didn't think that anybody ever looked out for each other. And he's just in it for himself. And he has that change of heart and he comes back for Luke. And now this is Luke uh, returning the favor and, and proving to Han that that's not the way the galaxy has to work, that people can be there for one another. You know, that is all really there by saying he is attempting to rescue his friend Han Solo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also just like that it is structured of like the, in some ways, this is uh, the promise of the premise of the cliffhanger idea, right? That Empire Strikes Back kind of catches it up of like, things look great at the end of New Hope. Uh, They got some problems. This is the actual cliffhanger, the three year cliffhanger, right? Of what happened and what's gonna happen 
to Han Solo. So it's really picking up on the cliffhanger and saying, we're going to wrap up this cliffhanger with uh, Han. Uh, but then there's this even bigger problem with the Empire. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because Jedi that that short film of Jabba's palace in the beginning is always like a it's it's a it's a it's a unique uh, uh, you know unique structure of the movie, uh, and I love it. I love what you're saying there. How it, it truly is uh, on last week's episode, and then we'll move on. Yeah, well, and I've I've had this discussion with a with a friend um, is adults of like I like Return of the Jedi. That Jabba's uh, palace stuff is great, but it's it's the the weakest movie because it's just it's got a subplot at the beginning for the first third and then you go into the actual story and if you look at the film by itself you can you can have that discussion but sure. for me this is one of the things that that really reminds you that star wars is the whole story because it yeah. is it's not just a little side adventure it's so important to han it's so important to luke's growth as a jedi it's mm-hmm. you know there's so many vital things happening yeah in. yeah 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 you know you're right there's yeah not to have a discussion of uh, return of the jedi again but yeah yeah and i think you're right there and how that does that does matter and and uh if you could have you could have broken it up and uh you know weave this in and out of the other storyline i just i i don't think that would have worked as much as yeah it's all hands on deck for a reason because it's han and we need han and we're all going to come through this so we can go complete the rest of the story yeah and and i would say thematically that uh, you know, Return of the Jedi being about uh, attachment and connection. The fact that Luke is willing to put everything on hold to go save his friend, that matters to who he is by the end of the film when he, yeah. you know, chooses not to uh, to give in to his fear, but instead to show mercy to his father. Absolutely. Um, and then I want to echo what you were saying about the Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine. Um this is a really fascinating thing to me because we've spent so much of this episode talking about the uh, pulp and adventure serial and the big, loud, thrilling element of Star Wars. But the other huge element is uh, the myth in the hero's journey. And this is such an indicator of hero's journey stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much in the monomyth uh, ideas about the hero going, finding their power, and then uh, returning home. Like the hero goes, has their adventure, uh, they go through an ordeal, they find their power, but the adventure isn't done because they have to return home to share it with others. And, you know, you can look at lots of different parts of, uh, you can kind of go through a bit of hero's journey just in A New Hope. You can go through it in the original trilogy. You can kind of make make the loop lots of different places for lots of characters. But for Luke, this idea that this film starts with him going, Great. I went and discovered myself. I went through an ordeal. Through that ordeal, I found power. Mm. What do I do with it? I return home and I use it to help people is, you know, mixing the pulp flavor of these uh, of these opening crawls and getting some real mythic hero's journey stuff in it. Take take Luke coming home. I mean, the 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 comedy of uh, you know, uh, I used to live here. You know, you're gonna die here. You know, there's all that. Take take that. That's part of the fun too. But just take take this sequence. Take the the man in black returning with the green blade and, and put it up against the twins, the twin sunset moment in New Hope. And wow, what a journey! I I've always loved uh, loved the return to Tatooine because of just that alone. Yeah, and it, the great connection of like I'm never coming back here. <laughs> yeah, you're like. Uh, once you grow and you change, you will find that maybe maybe we all need to experiment with returning home from time to time. Yeah. 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 Well, I think these are all good crawls. That's my big thought. Do you have any <laughs> final thoughts on the original trilogy crawls? They are such a part of my life uh, because of my entry point in the Star Wars. And 
you out there might have entered the prequel era. So those ones are going to have a special meaning. Sequel era, those ones are going to have a special meaning. And and we are uh, part of the the generation that these words, the phrases, the, the saying them to yourselves uh, while watching the movie, it, it's such a part of my life. I love that you can use, uh, it was a dark time as a rebellion, uh, for the rebellion to communicate something to your friends because it was such a shared experience. Uh, these crawls, um, in a way, are the best of the best for me because, man, I uh, had them burned onto my soul. Yeah, burned onto your soul. That is great. Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, they are really important to me uh, as a person. I think they're important to the legacy of Star Wars. I think they're such a great, um, they're thrilling and exciting. They're dynamic. They move, but they also really help uh, tell you where Star Wars came from. And maybe if you want to, some filters of how to look at Star Wars. And I'm really excited to see where the crawls will evolve uh, from here, getting into the prequels and sequels and beyond. Ken, if these, uh, if one of these crawls was burned not on your soul, but actually tattooed into your body, uh, which crawl would you get tattooed and where would you put it? Oh, man. Look, um, having no tats myself, though, uh, my fiance is dying for me to get 19. Um I, I would go with episode four, even though Empire is my favorite, Jedi changed my life. I think four is just, it's a beautifully written crawl. And, uh, you know, just, just right on, um, well, I'm, I'm more bold by the day. It's going to be put on the top of my head uh, to cover up, <laughs> look like I have hair. I'll, I'll probably just get a really obnoxious back tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's very exciting. Um, it, I, I was wrestling with the placement because like, okay, where do I want uh, four or three dots leading next to <laughs> <laughs> where can I put that? Uh, so I, I got to go with shoulder. I was going to say back, but I'm going to go with shoulder because I, I just, yeah I, yeah, I couldn't. Well, you could stretch it down your arm. You can stretch it down the arm a lot. Well, yeah, it'd be, it'd be very small, very, very challenging. I don't know if this would be a great looking tattoo. I don't know if you'd be able to read it even a year later, but <laughs> I'd try to get it on my shoulder. Yeah. And this is a, sometimes you just got to go back to uh, the power of, of your youth. Uh, it'd be the Empire Strikes Back for me. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, uh, there's something that seems appropriate about getting the word obsessed actually put on your body. <laughs> ah, well, it definitely works for you. It's a good branding now. It's good branding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that That's the reason to get tattoos. <laughs> anyway, that's our big look at crawls in general, specifically original trilogy in the upcoming weeks. We're going to talk uh, about the prequels and the sequels and uh, those crawls, but also all the other uh, content uh, that is crawl-like in those eras. Ken, uh, that's it. Where can people find us? Hey, we are the Force Center Podcast feed. You can find us on Twitter at Force Center Pod. We're on Instagram, YouTube as well. On YouTube, we release audio versions of the podcast. We're uh, on Facebook as well. Like us there at Force Center Podcast. We're available on Acast, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Amazon Music, Spotify, and more. Uh, we are going to be on some new places very soon. Merch available on tpublic.com slash user slash Force Center. And you can support us directly at patreon.com slash Force Center. From there, you can link to our Discord where you can have a wonderful conversation with other like-minded Force Center friends. You can find me at Catnapsock or go to catnapsock.com for information and more things I'm doing. Uh, laying a little low right now, no uh, comedy shows book, but I'll keep you updated there. And I do want to say, on Discord, doesn't mean we don't have uh, discussions about differing views and perspectives on Star Wars, but it's a wonderful, positive way to have those discussions. Joseph, where can they follow you? 
Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok as at Joseph Scrimshaw, and you can go to my website, josephscrimshaw.com, to links for all my other comedy adventures, including that other podcast, Obsessed, uh, comedy albums, uh, shows I've written for, all sorts of stuff like that, all on josephscrimshaw.com. But for now, for myself, for Ken, for the word Obsessed, this has been Four Center. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.